The book of Revelation is filled with mystery, prophecy, and numbers. In fact, the number seven is mentioned 54 times. Dr. David Jeremiah helps us understand these sevens in the Revelation 7 Study Handbook and 7 Praises Bookmark, yours this month for a gift of any amount. And when you give a gift of $60 or more, you'll gain a clearer understanding with the Seven Churches of Revelation Study Set, which includes a CD or DVD album and study guide. Go to davidjeremiah.ca to learn more. Welcome to Turning Point. Trusting God comes easily when things are going well for you. But do you remain just as faithful when the going gets tough? Today, Dr. David Jeremiah continues his series on David, who found that trouble tested his faith to the breaking point. Maybe you can relate to that. From The Tender Warrior, here's David to introduce today's thought-provoking message, The Fugitive. And we thank you for joining us. We've been telling you the story of David, and um, in recent episodes, David has slain the giant who came after him. He's become an unexpected hero among the people of Israel, created a tremendous uh, split between him and King Saul. Saul is now trying to take him out. And uh, we begin today with the first of two messages called The Fugitive, David on the Run. Uh, this is First Samuel 17 and following through to the 15th verse of the 18th chapter. We're so thankful that you're with us. If you haven't been listening uh, during the early days of June, let me tell you that we're featuring The Focused Life, which is a leather-covered edition of the Psalms and Proverbs organized in such a way that you don't read all the Psalms at once or all the Proverbs at once, but you read five Psalms and then bound into the book is the first chapter of Proverbs. Five more Psalms and the second chapter of Proverbs. When you get done with this beautiful book, you will have read both Proverbs and Psalms uh, in one month. 432 pages of Scripture. Someone has said, Psalms keeps your minds on heaven and Proverbs keeps your feet on the earth. Two good books to read together. I recommend it. It's a great exercise, and the book is beautiful. We want to send it to you for your gift during the month of June. Just send a gift of any size to help us with the cost of radio and and production. And when you do, ask for your copy of The Focused Life, and it'll be in the mail to you before you know it. We're so grateful for the opportunity God gives us to place these things in your hands. Well, uh, one more thing to tell you about. We're going to Israel in March of 2024. We want you to go with us. We'll visit all the major sites, see all the key things, experience the aura of being there where, where it all started for us as Christians. We'll come back different people. We'll come back renewed in our faith, and we hope you will go with us. We have wonderful ways to make this so special for all of us, and uh, you can join us by registering, making sure you do everything you need to do, and here's how you do it. You go to davidjeremiah.org slash events. There you will find everything you need. You can make personal contact with the tour agency, make all your plans, and we'll look forward to seeing you in March. Hey, March isn't all that far away. We're inside the year now, so you need to get busy and get registered. Here is The Fugitive from the story of David. Sometimes when we read about these current philosophies that are sending their arrows into the heart of the church, we think that these are new things. 
that these are struggles that are just for our generation. But I dare say that most of the men of God whose lives are recorded in the Bible faced many of the same struggles. There is a war that is within between the human ego and the Holy Spirit and the Spirit-controlled life. There is a constant battle that goes on within the heart of men both today and in the days past between doing all I can do for God and letting God do all he can through me. I don't know a Christian who is honest, who attempts to do great things for God, who hasn't fought a battle someplace in that arena on occasion. Does it surprise you that David fought that battle as well? Fresh from the victories over Goliath, with the memory in his mind of his great triumph over the bear and the lion, championing the cause of Israel almost single-handedly in the power and in the might of the name of God, David is now going to be put into the pressure cooker so that God can purge from him dependence upon everything else but God alone. Say, did you understand that that's one of the reasons for the pressures you face today? Do you understand that that's one of the ways God deals with those of us who may be aggressive and determined? That he often uses the pressure cooker in our lives to keep us centered on the foundation which alone is reliable, the foundation of God himself. It's not hard to trace the growing pressure in David's life as we look back in our Bibles to the 16th chapter. We learn that David's relationship with Saul began on a good note. As he is summoned before Saul to play, we read in verse 21 that David came to Saul and stood before him and Saul loved him greatly and he became Saul's armor bearer. And all was well until we come to the 18th chapter when David has been victorious over Goliath. And the women began to sing his praises, verse 7 of the 18th chapter. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth and the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed unto David ten thousands and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more now but the kingdom? The 12th verse continues the growing hostility on the part of Saul toward David. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. Verse 29 of the same chapter, Saul was yet more afraid of David and Saul became David's enemy continually. When we come to the 19th chapter, which is new territory for us today, we discover in verse 10 of chapter 19, that Saul now tries to kill David, even to smite him to the wall with a javelin. And David slips away out of Saul's presence, and he smote the javelin into the wall, and David fled and escaped that night. And so according to verse 11, Saul sent messengers to David's house to slay him. Yes, the pressure is on. The heat has been turned up. The cauldron is boiling. And David is now in the midst of the most difficult situation he has yet faced. It is one thing to stand before a giant, hurl one stone, and have the battle over. It is quite another thing to live day after day under the pressure of being a fugitive from the most powerful man in the land. 
In this particular time in David's life, he is going to learn three major lessons. And they are lessons which God delights to teach all of us. Probably some of you here today are in one or two of the levels of learning we are going to describe. I would suggest to you, first of all, that one of the first lessons David is going to learn in this time of growing pressure is that when you know God's promises, you have nothing to prove. When you know God's promises, you have nothing to prove. Beginning in the 19th chapter, it is not hard for us to trace the hostility of Saul toward David and how desperately Saul wants David to be killed. If you go back into the 18th chapter even, in the 17th verse, you will see that David has been promised Saul's daughter Merib. And he goes to David and he says, in order to have my daughter, go out and be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles, parentheses. For Saul said, let not my hand be upon him, but let the hand of the Philistines be upon him. I won't have to kill him, I'll just let the Philistines do it. David declines to accept Merib as his wife because he does not feel like he is worthy. Verse 18, and David said unto Saul, who am I? And what is my life or my father's family in Israel that I should be son-in-law to the king? Please file that verse in the back of your mind for a moment. Well, it came to pass when the time came for Merib to be married, David didn't get her. And uh, the story goes on in the 18th chapter that Merib's sister, Michael, fell in love with David. She really was enamored with this national hero. And she wanted David and she communed that to her father. And when Saul found out that Michael wanted David for a husband, Saul devised yet another plan to do in David. And we read about it as we continue in our Bibles. Verse 21, Saul said, I will give him her, that she may be a snare to him, that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Wherefore Saul said to David, Thou shalt this day be my son-in-law in the one of the twain. Now Saul couldn't get David killed off by the Philistines. He decides to marry him to his daughter and let his daughter do the work on him. Well, the word goes on, and you can read it in the text. And David again confesses how unworthy he feels. He's not worthy to be the son of the king. And in a conversation between Saul and his servants and Saul's servants and David, they devise a plan whereby David can prove his worth. Saul says, in essence, David, you go out and kill a hundred Philistines, and that's the only dowry I will require of you. Just get me proof of the death of 100 Philistines, and you won't have to pay anything for my daughter. Then you will be worthy. And guess what David did? He said, if he wants 100, I'll get him 200. And he went out and killed 200 Philistines, brought the proof back, and said, now I have earned my right to be the king's son-in-law. Now I have proved that I am worthy. And I just want to ask a couple of questions of all of this. And that is, why was David so intent upon proving his worth to Saul? Do you not remember that in the 16th chapter of this very book, Samuel had taken the crews of oil, had gone to Bethlehem, had gone through all the sons in Jesse's family, and at last had chosen the youngest son who was out on the hillside caring for the sheep. And he brought David in, and he poured the oil over David and anointed him the next king of Israel. 
And here's David groveling in his lack of self-esteem or perhaps false humility and saying, I am not worthy to be married to the king's daughter. And I want to shout at the top of my lungs, David, you are the king. What are you talking about? You are the king elect. Why are you going about trying to prove what God has already promised? And then I look at how often we are prone to do that in our own lives. It seems to me that even in the church of Jesus Christ, in what we might call institutional ministries, half of our problem is we're on a tram to try to prove somehow that we're worthy to God. I wrote down in my notes as I was studying this week that as Christians, we do not live and serve and work for acceptance, but rather we live and work and serve from acceptance. I do not serve God in order that I can prove my worth to him, but I serve God because in his holy book he has declared that I am worthy. Not in my merit, not in what I have accomplished, but I am chosen before the foundation of the world and I am worthy in the person of Jesus Christ, God's Son. And I don't have to prove anything. I don't have to climb the ladder and somehow make everybody accept me because of what I have accomplished because God has chosen me before the foundation of the world and I am His and I do not work for acceptance but I work from acceptance. The whole book of Ephesians is built upon that theme. Sometime you ought to read the book and discover it. The first three chapters builds this strong foundation of who we are in Christ. We are seated in the heavenlies with God. And when you get through this whole foundational teaching in chapters 1, 2, and 3, you come to the fourth chapter and guess what Paul says as he begins the practical part of the book. He says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. What is he saying? He is saying, listen, here's your acceptance. Here's your chosenness. Here's who you are. All right, now don't do anything to try to merit that because it's already yours. Start with who you are and what you are and now live in light of that. I don't hear very much about that in the discussions today about self-esteem. You know, we're reading all this stuff about self-esteem in our literature. Listen, we do not have to earn our self-esteem. We are esteemed by God, and you can't get any higher than that. And we start from there, and the light of who we are, we go forward. So David is going to learn in this difficult time of pressure in his life that as the king-elect, he doesn't have to be trying to prove himself to anybody. When you have the promises of God... You have to prove nothing. Oh, I admire David's courage. I can see how he would want to go out and do even twice what the king asked. But I also have to admit that he's operating from the wrong premise. Second thing he's about to learn is this. That when you know God's faithfulness, you don't have to fear. When you know God's promises, you don't have to prove anything. When you know God's faithfulness, you don't have to fear anything. Now, I have to say that as I've studied this chapter in David's life, David is like most of us here today. He kind of vacillates back and forth. <laughs> he gets confused between what he believes and how he behaves. Does that ever get into your life? 
Do you ever get caught up in what you believe and how you behave and you just kind of go back and forth? Well, I believe this, but I'm living like this. Hold your place here and turn over to the Psalms, will you? You say to me, Pastor Jeremiah, how do you know what David believed at this particular time in his life? Well, he wrote it down for us. You know, there's a correlation between the Psalms and the history of David's life. So holding your place in Samuel, now you're in the book of Psalms, Psalm 59. And I want to give you a little tidbit of information, not from the Psalm itself, but from the ascription that is on the Psalm. In the Hebrew Psalter, the ascriptions or the little descriptive title at the psalm is often the first verse in the Hebrew Psalter. In our Bibles, it is put at the top of the psalm, and we start actually with verse 2. But notice the title at the top of the 59th psalm. To the chief musician, a miktam of David. Now watch this. When Saul sent and they watched the house to kill him. This psalm was written by David during the period of time that we're now going to examine in the book of 1 Samuel. It is a description of what David believes about his current plight. Now hold your place there and go back to 1 Samuel. What's happening? David is doing just fine back in the presence of Saul. He has been brought back there by Jonathan, and we're jumping a bit ahead in the story. But now that he is back in the presence of Saul, he's about to get in trouble again, and he's going to get in trouble for the same reason he got in trouble in the first place. Notice the eighth verse of chapter 19. There was war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and slew them with a great slaughter, and they fled from him. What does that sound like? It's the same scenario that happened before. Now, that's a great moment in David's life. He's been victorious, but he shouldn't know by now that every time he wins a victory, his enemy Saul gets mad. So watch what happens. And the evil spirit from the Lord was upon Saul. And as he sat in his house with his javelin in his hand, and David played with his hand, Saul sought to smite David, even to the wall with a javelin. But he slipped out of Saul's presence, and he smote the javelin into the wall, and David fled and escaped that night. I couldn't help but observe that when you have a guy with a javelin in his hand, it could sure interrupt the concentration of your harp playing, you know, especially if it's happened before. I wonder how nervously David played on the harp that day. This is at least the second, perhaps as you read it, maybe the third time when Saul has tried to pin David to the wall with his javelin. And I just want to remind all our musicians of how good you have it around here. We don't ever let anything like that happen in our church. Saul tries to kill David, and once again, David gets out. Now, what happens is he goes home. He's now married to Michael, Saul's daughter. And after he goes home, we are told that while he's at home, verse 11, Saul sends messengers to David's house to watch him, to slay him in the morning. And Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, in my vernacular, David, if you don't get out of here tonight, tomorrow you're dead. So Michael let David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. And Michael took an idol and laid it in the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair for his bolster and covered it with a cloth. And she's trying to buy some time for David to get away. And when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, well, he's sick. He can't come. And Saul sent the messengers again to see David, saying, bring him up to me in the bed, and I will slay him. And when the messengers were come in, behold, there was an image in the bed with a pillow of goat's hair for his bolster. And Saul said unto Michael, 
Why have you deceived me so and sent away mine enemy that he has escaped? Now listen to Michael, this lying woman. And she said, David said to me, let me go or I will kill you. Now wait a minute, is that how it happened? Now what we have going on here, please note, and some of you are going to say, I don't blame Michael and I don't blame David for how they're dealing with Saul's anger. But what we have going on here, we have some people who are manipulating their own circumstances instead of putting their trust in God. And I want to remind you that this is the same David who just a few short weeks earlier had stood in a valley all by himself with no support system at all. His enemy was there as tall as he could stand and all David had was a slingshot in his hand and the power of an almighty God. And David said, I do not come to you in my own power, but I come to you in the name of the God of Israel, the Jehovah that you have blasphemed. And in the power of that moment, he was victorious. Now, he's at home with his wife. And there are a few angry soldiers outside who've claimed to come for him. And all of a sudden, what we have is this admixture of God and human manipulation kind of coming together. David does not behave as he believes. Now go back to Psalm 59. What does David really believe? He believes God is able to deal with his enemies. This is what he writes. Deliver me from mine enemies, O my God. Defend me from them that rise up against me. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity. Save me from the bloody men. For lo, they lie in wait for my soul. The mighty are gathered against me, not for my transgression, not for my sin. O Lord, I haven't done anything. They run and prepare themselves without my fault. Awake to help me and behold. Thou therefore, O Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to visit all the heathen. Be not merciful to any wicked transgressor, Selah. Now here's what he's describing. They return at evening. They make a noise like a dog. And they go around about the city. Behold, they belch out with their mouth. Swords are in their lips, and who say they doth hear? But thou, O Lord, shall laugh at them. Thou shalt have all the heathen in derision. Because of his strength will I wait upon thee, for God is my defense. The God of my mercy shall prevent me. God shall let me see my desire upon mine enemies. Slay them not, lest my people forget. Scatter them by thy power. Bring them down, O Lord, our shield. For the sin of their mouth and for the words of their lips, let them be even taken in their pride and for cursing and lying which they speak. Consume them in wrath. Consume them that they may not be. And let them know that God ruleth in Jacob unto the ends of the earth. And at evening let them return and let them make a noise like a dog and go around about the city. Let them wander up and down for meat and grudge if they be not satisfied. But I, I will sing of thy power. Yea, I will sing aloud of thy mercy in the morning. For thou hast been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble. Unto thee, O my strength, will I sing. For God is my defense and the God of my mercy. And I couldn't help as I read that wondering... If David sang that song as he was climbing down the rope out of Michael's window. Seems rather incongruous, doesn't it? How can he be trusting in God and manipulating events with lies and deceit? You say, Pastor Jeremiah, are you saying that David could have stayed in that house and trusted in God as he said he believed? Not resorted to the manipulative methods of deceit, and God would have cared for him? 
Well, if any man in the face of the earth had reason to believe that, it seems to me David did. He had seen God do miraculous things. He had seen God's faithfulness. God took care of him. David is now back under the protective care of God, and God intervenes. If we will let God do it, God will care for us, and that's what he is trying to teach David. He is trying to teach David what his support system really is. Hmm. Somebody said God is your safety net. Well, he's much more than that. He's not just a quiet, passive person waiting for you to need him. He's actively involved with you every day. And David is finding that out in this Old Testament story. We're having so much fun reading it along and following along in every episode of his life. Tomorrow, we will conclude our discussion of The Fugitive. I hope you'll join us then. But right now, I want to remind you before we say goodbye that you can get a copy of The Focused Life, which is the resource for the month of June. It's the book of Proverbs and the book of Psalms. Psalms to keep your mind on heaven, Proverbs to keep your feet on earth. Read it together, five Psalms and then a proverb, five Psalms and then another chapter in Proverbs. Read it, and in a month you will read them both, and you will be a different person. It's our way of saying thank you for your gift. Be sure to ask for it when you send your gift today. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, The Tender Warrior, please visit our website. There you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of The Focus Life, a month of daily readings from Psalms and Proverbs in a beautiful leather-bound book. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James Versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get all the details when you visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, The Tender Warrior, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Have you ever wondered what your legacy will be? The Jeremiah Legacy Society from Turning Point was created for friends of the ministry who feel called to partner with Dr. David Jeremiah to deliver the unchanging Word of God to future generations. We can ensure that the impact we have reaches beyond our days here on earth. Visit our website at davidjeremiahgift.org to learn more about how you can be a part of the Jeremiah Legacy Society. Did you know that nearly 2 million Turning Point radio programs are broadcast each year? Your support enables Turning Point to continue delivering the unchanging Word of God to an ever-changing world. And thanks to our giving challenge, any fiscal year-end gift you give until the end of June will be doubled, up to $100,000. You can help Turning Point finish strong by donating today. Call 800-946-4300 or go to davidjeremiah.ca. When describing faith, the great preacher D.L. Moody agreed that faith is a gift from God, but he reminded his listeners, air is a gift from God too, but you have to breathe it, and food is a gift from God, but you have to eat it. He went on to explain that faith must be exercised, faith must be acted upon. Faith is not a feeling that we wait to overtake us, 
Faith is trust in the promises of God that give us confidence and courage to act without fear. Faith is a gift of God that must be put to use. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's gift of faith on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. That's Route66life.com. Route 66, start your journey home today.